Thanks for listening in today to our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. And let's go over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Now this is, I think, very fascinating that before Luke takes up the public ministry of Jesus, he first gives us the genealogy of Jesus. At this point, we've already seen the baptism that God declares Jesus his son that makes him divine. He says, um, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Uh, And so God himself uh, speaks and tells us that Jesus is son. So Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. And now Luke goes about to show that Jesus is human as well by tracing Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. And, uh, and so this is a different genealogy than we find in Matthew. Uh, just really quick, just so you can get an understanding of this, the, the genealogy in Matthew um, goes from Joseph's line all the way to Abraham. And so the, math, the account of Luke's genealogy here we believe is through Mary's line. And that goes all the way to Abraham to Adam. And so let's read here in verse 23 here. It says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. So let me ask you a question. How old was Jesus when he began his ministry? He is not 30. He is about 30. As a matter of fact, the one age we know he's not when he began his ministry is 30, okay? So he could be 28, that's about 30. He could be 29, that's about 30. He could be 31, he could be 32. One could even maybe make the argument that he was maybe 27. Now, if you're 27 here, you're going, hey, that ain't 30, you know, but (laughs) it's about 30. No, it's not. All right, all right, still touchy about the 30 thing. Um, but we know that he was not 30 because if he was 30 in two months, 30 and a half, 30, whatever, then they wouldn't say about 30. He would be 30. So that's the one age we know for a fact he was not when he began his ministry. So again, I just want us to be able to see through the clarity of his word what is being said here, okay, what is being said here. Now, it also says here, about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, as was supposed. Now, Matthew's account, it distinctly says, speaking about Joseph's genealogy of who his father is, and it says that Jacob begot Joseph. Here in Luke, it does not say that Heli begot Joseph. It says, Joseph, being as supposed, the son of Heli. The word son here could also mean son-in-law. Okay? In the original language, the definite article, tau, in the genitive form of the, as we see this all through this genealogy of, of Luke's from 23 all the way through 38, um, you'll see the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, and it goes on all the way down. Um, here, we're told that the genitive form of the appears before every name in the genealogy except one. When we come here to Joseph, this singular exception here in Luke's genealogy strongly suggests 
that Joseph was included here because he was married to Mary. And women's names were not commonly used among the Jews as genealogy links. And so we, we have something that is different here when it's being spoken of as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Now, Mary's name is omitted, even though this is probably her genealogy, which is made clear by Joseph's name being omitted through the son-in-law status. And since Matthew's account gives a genealogy through Joseph, here in Luke, we believe that Luke has given this genealogy through Mary's line. And it goes all the way back, not to just Abraham, but all the way to Adam. This genealogy is also different than the one that we come across in Matthew, because in Matthew, there is, um, we find, both genealogies find their way to David. But where it breaks off is David's sons. Matthew's genealogy runs through Solomon's line, whereas here in Luke, it runs through Nathan's line. Okay? And so, we, this is very, very important because in Matthew's genealogy, there's a curse. And so, we know that Joseph was not the biological, son, uh, biological father of Jesus because if he was, there'd be a curse that would run through there. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, keep your finger here in Luke, but just kind of go over there so you can kind of see this. And so in verse 7, you have Solomon. He begets Rehoboam. Rehoboam begets Abijah. Abijah begets Esau. Esau begets Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Joram, uh, Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot uh, Jeconiah. And his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 22. This speaks of Jeconiah. I read those, uh, that genealogy in Matthew because I could pronounce those names. I'm not going to run through the one in uh, Luke's gospel. I'll let you do that and allow for you to mispronounce them on your own. So, but here in Jeremiah 22, verse 28. And we'll read verse 24 first, just so you could see. This is the message to Coniah, which is the same uh, word as Jeconiah. Um, it's, a, it's the same person, okay? So in the Greek, they pronounce it as Jeconiah, but it is Coniah, all right? And so here in verse 24, it says, As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet of my right hand, yet I would pluck you off, and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life. And into the hand of those whose face you fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. And so I'll cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land which they desire to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised broken vessel, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. This is Coniah or Jeconiah. 
one and the same. A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David. When Second Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 11 on, we have what is known as the covenant of David, where he has promised that his seed shall be upon the throne and rule forever. Well, here we're told of Jeconiah who comes through Solomon, who comes from David, that from this point on, his seed is cursed and that his seed will not sit upon the throne. And so this line is cursed going through Joseph. But we find the line through Mary going through Nathan, David's son, to David that way, thus fulfilling through Nathan, not Solomon, through Nathan, a seed. And Mary, being from that line, a seed that will sit upon the throne to rule forever, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important that you understand this here. It's also interesting, interesting in Matthew's account here that he makes it very clear that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Because at the end of this genealogy in verse 16 of Matthew, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. It doesn't say that Joseph begat Jesus, who is called the Christ. Then it deviates from that, of that pattern that we see all through Matthew's genealogy. And it says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary's introduced here, of whom, meaning her, was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And so even Matthew's account points that Joseph did not beget Jesus. Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, and so he was not the biological father of Jesus. So, again, just how um, clear and detailed Scripture is that this is still being fulfilled of what is said that through David, his seed will be upon the throne forever. And so, since we've seen it as baptism, that Jesus is the Son of God, thus being divine, we also see that Jesus is human going all the way back to Adam, according to uh, Mary's genealogy here in verses 23, all the way back to through verse 38. And so we're going to start off here in chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I love... Going through genealogies, there's always something in there. Um, you know, uh, the names sometimes can be hard to pronounce. If you ever want to have a great time, if you have kids, um, definitely let them read the names of a genealogy. <laughs> there's a, I remember doing a devotion with our kids, and one of the names was Archippus. And, and one of my kids said, Archippus. <laughs> I love that. Archippus it is. And, you know, I just, I just love it when they, when they go through that. So, uh, so anyway, this is very important that Mary's genealogy takes you all the way back to Adam. And the reason why it takes us all the way back to Adam is because, again, I believe it's trying to remind us of something that Paul would say later on. Paul makes this very, very clear. And I think Luke wants us to understand this as well. Just like in the first Adam, we have another Adam here in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, it says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Who's that speaking of? Jesus. Jesus is the second man. He is the second Adam. He is the last Adam, is who he is. And as man of the dust, so also are those who are made of the dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are the heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul also spoke in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That speaks of Jesus. So Adam, the first Adam, is a type of the person who is to come. That speaks of Jesus Christ. And just like he says in 1 Corinthians 15, He is the Lord from heaven, this second man, this Adam, this last Adam speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Adam represents fallen humanity. And Jesus comes as that last Adam to redeem mankind in order to do that, he is going to have to be tested. And so he comes to redeem mankind, but in order to do that, he's going to have to be tested. And so I believe that Luke makes it very clear That Jesus is God and he is man in his humanity. We see this. And so, uh, and then Jesus is going to be taken into the wilderness. Well, what does the wilderness speak of? When you see some of these words in the New Testament, it should remind you of certain events in the Old Testament. So when you think of wilderness, you probably should think of wilderness wanderings of Israel. Israel was in the wilderness how many years? Forty How many days is Jesus tested? Forty. He also is going to be driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And so, again, we have these wilderness experiences here. We we see the parallel between Jesus and the first Adam and and Jesus going in the wilderness to be able to perform and do what Israel itself couldn't do collectively, and that is being obedient to God. And so we, we see this here in God's word. And so here in verse 1, it says in Luke chapter 4, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Matthew's account, it says he's going to be led in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why does God lead through the Spirit for Jesus to be Tempted by the devil. And if he does that with his son, is there, does he also do that with us? And I would say he absolutely does. Now, before we get into that too much, he's going to be presented there before Satan. What does Satan know about Jesus? I think, Jesus, I think Satan knows everything about Jesus. I think Satan, I think the devil knows exactly who he is that he is the one that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3, verse 15. Remember when Adam and Eve fell, God gathered them up there in the garden along with the serpent, the devil himself, and he says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your seed and her seed. Now, we know biology, women, you don't have seed. Men have seed. And so this already speaks of the virgin birth that is to come. And so God is prophesying here. He's telling the future. He said, look, because of what's happened here, there's always going to be enmity between mankind and Satan himself and between his seed and her seed, those of the world and those who are followers of God. But speaking of her seed speaks specifically of a seed that's going to be planted in her and it speaks of the virgin birth here. And this is what it says, and her seed... He shall bruise your head. That speaks of a death blow. Satan, guess what? She's going to give birth, a virgin birth, to someone who is going to destroy you. And it says, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a wounding. That's not a death blow. And we saw that on the cross, where Satan thought that he had killed Jesus, and he didn't kill Jesus. That was Jesus' finest hour. And that's when he had victory over death. That's when he had victory over death over Satan. And all authority was given to Jesus through that event. And so Satan knew from the beginning of history that a man would come to destroy him. We see this later on in in Luke chapter 4. And we'll get into this next week. But all of a sudden, even the demons know. And so when Jesus is around and there's someone who's demon-possessed, it says in verse 34 of Luke 4, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yes, he did come to destroy you. Not now, but he did come to destroy you. So even the demons know about this verse in Genesis 3.15, that Jesus is going to come, a man is going to come, born of a virgin, and he is going to destroy Satan and all that he's done. And so... Satan knows about Jesus. He knows about Jesus. We see it all through Genesis 49, 10, Psalm 45, 6 and 7, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, Daniel 2, 44, Daniel 7, 13 through 14, just to name a few, which talks about this man of God that is going to come from heaven and set up his kingdom to rule forever. You remember that when we went over uh, with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that Daniel interprets the dream in Daniel chapter 2. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, that big image that you saw, verse 44 of Daniel 2, says you see the stone that is not cut out from, uh, from human hands, but it comes from heaven, and it destroys that image that represents all the world powers and world kingdoms. And then that rock that comes from heaven sets up here on earth to rule forever, and it speaks about the kingdom that is to come. That speaks of Jesus. So Satan knows all this. He knows that this... This guy is coming and is trying to cut him off at the pass any way that he can. That's why through Herod, when the Magi come, hey, we have seen the star of the king of the Jews and we've come to worship him. And Herod said, yeah, go find out exactly where he is. Come back and let me know so I can go worship him because he wanted to kill him. Obviously influenced by Satan. And so they end up leaving, kind of getting wind from the Lord that that they had been duped, and so they, they leave, and, and so Herod finds out about it. By that time, Joseph and Mary and their son Jesus have left to go to Egypt, but he doesn't know that, so he goes down to Bethlehem, and he kills all the children from two and under. Satan knows that this guy is coming and will do anything that he can in order to get rid of him and to kill him. And so we see that 
in the Word of God. We see that in the Word of God. And so it says in verse 1 again, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. Jesus was not just tempted these three times. He is tempted throughout these 40 days. I don't know if it's once a day. I don't know if it's twice a day. I don't know if it's 10 times a day. But he is constantly being tempted by the devil for these 40 days. We just get a glimpse of three of the times that he has been tempted. And then when Satan leaves, it says in verse 13 of Luke 4, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I'm here to tell you that when it comes to temptations, that you might pass the temptation, you might pass it with flying colors, your eyes are on the Lord, and that trial has proved uh, um, uh, patience and endurance and godly character in your life. How awesome that is. Satan's just waiting for a more opportune time. And I'm here to tell you, it's usually when you've done just really, really well in the Lord. He's right there. He's right there. I got to tell you, there's certain highs throughout the year of what God has called me to do, and I'm always looking forward to it, but over time I realize it's right after that that Satan is right there to meet me. I think of, you know, when it comes to Easter Sundays, those are such blessed times. I think of Christmas Eve services. There's just particular services that you just see God's blessing and the way he anoints, and you're just going, wow, that was so great. And I've learned over time that it's only an hour or two hours afterwards that all of a sudden I'm caught up in the flesh somewhere. And I go, how could that be? I just had this glorious experience in the Lord. Seeing people come to know the Lord. The word was preached. It was just magnificent in so many different ways. And here I am getting wrapped up in this thing. Satan is right there as you're coming off the mountaintop. He's the companion to meet you, you know. Okay, and it's kind of a lie when I say two hours later. It's usually 15 minutes, but still. I want you to think I'm more godly than I probably am. So, But it is. It's just so quick. And you just go, how can that be? And so even Jesus, when, you know, after this time, is going to be tempted. You know, and he'll use other people around him. Remember Peter uh, up in Caesarea Philippi. And that's a place where... All sorts of false worship is going on. It would probably be the place in that area where Jesus could walk and take his people that there's more false worship and uh, more false deities than anywhere else there in, um, in Israel. And so he takes him to this place where there's all these distractions of false idols. And it's there that he asks them, who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're the prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say, people say this and that. He goes... Let's cut right through the chase. With all this distraction, who do you say that I am? Peter jumps to the forefront. I love Peter. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. What does Jesus say? Well done, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. At that point, he's feeling pretty proud. And then Jesus goes on to explain what God has shown him of how he's going to redeem mankind by going to Jerusalem and dying for the sins of mankind. And Peter just, again, Filled with pride. May it not be, Lord. To which then Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. What? No, I'm the guy that just got the right answer. What do you call me Satan for? Because you're not the mindful of things of God. You're mindful of things of man. Wow. And so even Jesus was 
being tempted there again by Peter, his compadre, to say, there's got to be another way to deviate from This is important because of what we're going to go over, the difference of between a testing and temptation. That completes the Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.